And so this week we're going to continue in Matthew verses uh, 1 through 9 in chapter 15. Um, I do not want us to forget those three action points, though, because if you're like me, which maybe you're not, I hope you're not like me. I hope you mastered all three of those this past week. I did not. I did not master those. And I can tell you that from here right now that I still need to work on them. Um, Hopefully you don't because you have mastered them and you will continue to do those things. Uh, But if you haven't mastered them like myself, I hope you continue to remember our application points from previous sermons as well. Uh, But this week, let's get to Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Please stand with me uh, as we read the word of God. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Let's pray. God, we thank you for meeting us here this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus, for being here for allowing us to learn more about you, for filling us when we're broken. We come before you this morning, uh, God, tired and weak and hungry, hungry for you. And God, I pray that these words that you've shared with us that we can talk through this morning will not be my own words, but words from you, and that we can all learn from them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, This last week for me was an incredibly busy week. It was the last week at Hiram uh, where I work. This is not uh, my only job. I uh, am a graduate student, or was, or is. We'll talk about that in a second here. But a graduate student at Hiram, and I coach the soccer team. So the end of the year at school is always busy. So this last week were people's final classes. This last week were final exams. It was moving out. It was all these different things. And one of the things as a coach that I like to do is actually have I guess you could call it an exit interview, just a time to meet with players and talk about the year, talk about how they can improve both on and off the field, and just to get feedback from people, to hear and talk to people one-on-one. Seeing uh, players as a team and a group every day does not mean you understand every individual all the time. Uh, And so one of the things that we do, me and the head coach, uh, is meet with these guys before they leave. And uh, the head coach is somebody I really, really admire. He is somebody I need to learn from. Not just about the game. He's maybe the most brilliant soccer mind I've ever met, and I admire that about him. But his ability to talk to people and to communicate and to use words is incredible. I imagine he scored incredibly high on the SAT. Uh, He uses words very well and in a way that is able to communicate really well. And that's something that... I'm learning from him and something that I want to do better. And uh, for a couple of our players, there, there were issues that uh, we wanted to talk about, issues about missing something, whether it was a CrossFit session, a running session, a meeting, um, a practice, 
uh, a game, no matter what it is, missing something matters, okay? And so the idea of how can we get this across to somebody, uh, we didn't really talk about it. I think this just came to him while we were talking to people. But one of the things that he asked players um, was, what do you, as a player, have you ever been on a winning team? Yeah, okay, well, what were some characteristics of that winning team? Uh, well, we were, uh, we were together, and uh, team chemistry was, was the answer. Uh, and so he replied, he said, okay, team chemistry. So, uh, so team chemistry is important. That's important to a winning, a winning side. With team chemistry, I can't tell you every single thing that makes team chemistry happen. I don't have a formula for you or an algorithm to equate what makes team chemistry. If we did, then everybody's team would be together and have team chemistry. And, and he said, I can't tell you what makes team chemistry, but I can tell you what does not make team chemistry. And one of the things that does not make team chemistry is when you skip things. Being together as a team, being all together as one, allows you to push yourself, not only for yourself, but for your neighbor, for somebody else. It inspires people. When you are doing a fitness test and you run every single run and don't miss one, that is inspiring to people that are breathing heavy and not sure if they can make it. And if you don't show up at all, you're not doing anybody any good. So I can't tell you what makes team chemistry, but I can tell you for sure what does not make team chemistry. And so this morning, I'm paralleling this to what we're looking at today. Matthew 15 starts out by looking at a major, maybe the most major issue in our lives. It's not team chemistry. We're not talking about team chemistry. It's a parallel. The most important thing, this overarching theme, is worship. The text is showing us how important worship is in your life. And the realization that after I'm dead and gone from this earth if I get to heaven and everything that I enjoyed here is with me in heaven if my family's there if my friends are there if pets are there food if, uh, if there is no more pain no more suffering if all that is there but Jesus isn't there then that is not heaven if I cannot worship my creator when I get to heaven then that is not heaven and I want to remember this. I need to remember this, that worship is an end in and of itself. Many things that we do in our faith do not have, are not an in, end in and of themselves. Evangelism, for instance. The end of evangelism, the end purpose, is not that people convert to Christianity. The end of evangelism is not that I can teach somebody how to teach somebody else to teach somebody else just to convert the end, the main goal of evangelism is that other people can now see Jesus as their treasure and that they can now worship God. And through that, I can now worship God better too. Worship is not leading to anything else. Worship is in and of itself what we should be doing with our lives. We should be worshiping God all the time. And so what we're getting here, what I'm not going to tell you is a recipe for how we can worship God. The text is not giving us a recipe for how we make 
worship to God happen exactly. But what the text is telling us is how not to do it. It gives us some key ingredients as to what will not allow you to worship God. And these three things that we're going to talk about, um, Andy Davis pointed this out. He's a pastor in North Carolina. He quickly had these pointed out. So I would actually like to talk about these a lot. The three things are legalism, traditionalism, and hypocrisy. That's what we see in the text. So these ingredients are going to deter your ability to worship. And we're going to talk about those. The first one here, legalism. Legalism, if you check it out on Google, which gives good definitions sometimes, is an excessive adherence to law. Excessive adherence to law. A theological view of this would be it is that it is a dependence on moral law rather than on personal religious faith. So legalism is when I'm depending on a moral law rather than religious faith. And sometimes, from Old Testament scripture, but not always, we see these legalisms happen. So in verse 2, the scribes, they ask Jesus, they say, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. They're watching Jesus and his disciples, and they want to build a case against Jesus because they don't believe him. They want Jesus gone. They don't want to deal with this guy that's saying that he's the son of God and the only way to the Father. And that's hard for me. It's hard for me to understand why is it that the Pharisees are watching every single thing that Jesus does. Maybe you look at it and you think the same thing. Why is this the case? Why don't they believe him? Well, the Israelites, just to bring us all up to speed here, were expecting somebody to come in and usher in a new kingdom. And they were looking for this person to be a very large and in-charge leader. And so if we look at Daniel, this gives us a good perspective of what the Jews were waiting for. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Chaldeans, um, he conquered different parts of Israel. He built up Babylon uh, to be what Babylon was, as the world knew it. It was a great city. And he was oppressing the Israelites that he conquered. And so he had visions, the king, and they were ultimately explained only by Daniel, who recorded it in chapter 2, verse 31 to 35. Let's read it. Daniel interprets this dream. He says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the, old, the, filled the whole earth. So this is what the Israelites, this is what the Jews were waiting for. As they were under the rule of the Romans in the time of Jesus, they're seeing the Gentiles... They're seeing these outsiders as a great image, a monster against them, made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. They didn't like it, and they're waiting for a Messiah to be cut out of the stone, to be etched out, to come and physically destroy this. And that's the leader that they're looking for, the glory of Zion. But when they see Jesus, that's not what they see. They see a man that came humbly into the world. They see somebody that is serving other people. 
that is showing love and grace and mercy to everybody. And that's not what they want. And so they think that this cannot be the Messiah. So they're trying to trap him. They're trying to make him out to be a a phony, an imposter, somebody that can't actually be good. And that's why they're all against him. Again, to bring us up to speed. That's why they're looking at him and trying to find something that they can point to him and or his disciples and say that's wrong. So verse 2, that's the best thing that they can come up with, eating without washing their hands. This is legalism. This is thinking that God accepts their worship because of laws that they're keeping. But that's not even a Mosaic law. This is strictly a tradition of the elders. It's a law that they created for themselves. But, as absurd as that sounds that they did that, we all do this. We all decide to make our own laws based on what fits our current life situation. And then we attempt to carry out these laws as our own act of worship to God. These laws that we make up for ourselves is what we try to carry out. And that's legalism. That doesn't work. We all decide to live by the standards that we think are good enough for God. And we do this. This is traced back thousands of years to Cain, offering to God what Cain thought was good enough, but it wasn't what God asked for. And he didn't understand why it was wrong. So what do you do in your life that you think makes you righteous? What do you see other people do and think to yourself, well, I don't do that because that's not good. We should all be coming up with something, actually, really, right now. Think of something. Right where you are. What is one thing that you do that you think makes you righteous? We all do it. Do we have it? What is something you do that you will look at somebody else that does it and think, oh, that's wrong. Happy, I don't do that. You have it in your head right now. Good. Now, is that biblical? Does it line up with God's words? Does it line up with what we know of Jesus coming and bringing the new covenant? Or does it line up with something that you decide is close to God's words or could maybe be related to God's words? Examine it. If it's legalism that you're acting in, (laughs) that's not an ingredient to worship. And Jesus responds very poignantly to their comment. He calls them out on an actual commandment of God that they're breaking. And so that's leading us to the next ingredient. The next non-ingredient to worship is traditionalism. Traditionalism is not tradition. There's a difference. It's highlighted uh, very well by Pelican, um, something that he wrote in 1984. He put it this way. Do we get it up here? Great. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And he goes on and says, I suppose I should add it is traditionalism that gives tradition such a bad name. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. So with that in mind, let's look at how Jesus responds. Verse 3 to 9. Sorry, 3 to 6. He answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you made void the word of God. So what they're doing when they were able to take money, let's just make this clear, if they 
got money, they should give it to their parents. I make money, I should give it to my parents, right? Honor. I should honor my parents. I should do that. But there was this law outside of the Mosaic law that they could kind of break. And so they would do that so they could keep stuff for themselves. Well, now they're not living, holding to God's laws, but their own. So the Pharisees weren't holding on to the living faith of the dead. They were holding on to the dead faith of the living. If they were holding on to the living faith of the dead, they would have seen Isaiah 1.11, which reads this. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. So in terms of sacrifice, he, he'd had enough. They would have realized that. They would have realized that they don't just have to follow law. God cares more about the heart. God has had enough of the dead faith of the living, but this isn't easy to see. The conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees here is incredibly significant in terms of Jesus ushering in the new covenant. It's the covenant that we now live in today. It's very much ushered in right here. So if we're going to look at what we eat, for example, Old Mosaic Law, Deuteronomy 14, 4 to 8. These are the animals you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet, of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these, the camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud, but do not part the hoof or unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof, but does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. Well, you might say, well, I don't eat camel or rock badger. I believe that. But what about pork? Why are we allowed to eat pork? Why can't I can sit next to somebody here in church that eats pork and know that they still love Jesus? Because Jesus ushered in a new kingdom. He's fulfilling the law. He's not just destroying it. Jesus isn't this person coming in, destroying the gold and silver beast. He's bringing in something new. And why can we eat pork? Acts chapter 10, verses 9 to 15. This is our good old boy Peter, who we talked about last week. A vision that Peter had. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Again, prayer incredibly important. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. There's now freedom in Christ, and food is just one small representation of what that looks like. Tradition allows you to live in faith, learning from those before us, meeting together as a body of believers, worshiping God with the symbols, the harp and the lyre, preaching from the word of God, praying to God. All of these are traditions that have been passed down. Having the word of God, this is a tradition that has been passed down, and it's not bad. <laughs> We need this because this allows us to truly worship God. And we can learn from that. Do we actually worship with the symbol, the harp and the lyre? Well, this morning we didn't. We plugged in some guitars into a speaker. Is that wrong? No, we're still worshiping. But we have this tradition 
this faith of the dead, this living faith of the dead that we still have today. Traditionally, a church hasn't thrived if they haven't been in the Word of God together. And it has thrived in the Word of God. Why do you think it's so important that people in China get Bibles? You know, the church that I grew up in, there were always mission trips, people taking Bibles over to China. People needed the Word of God, and they would meet together and talk about the Word of God. Traditionalism, or the thought that worship can be passed directly from one generation to the next by following patterns, needs to go. And finally, what does Jesus say next of the Pharisees and the scribes who are stuck in legalism and traditionalism? Verse 7, you hypocrites. He calls them hypocrite. Uh, it's used 20 times in the New Testament in Greek. Uh, this means something very simple as it's translated directly from Greek. It means actor. You might be able to say that yesterday I was a hypocrite. Yesterday was the ceremony at Hiram, the commencement, 164th one. And so everybody that's graduating, all the undergrads, all the graduates, uh, everybody celebrates this graduation by walking down, shaking the president's hand, grabbing a diploma. And that's what I did. I had the fancy sleeves, the weird hood, all the colors, shook the hand, grabbed the diploma. Everybody was cheering. It was fun. Family, friends were there. I took pictures so many pictures I couldn't smile anymore. Everybody was saying congratulations. And it was really fun. I graduated. I, I did it. Um, but one of my professors came over to me. She knows my situation. And she said, don't forget, you have a lot of work to do. Because while I looked the part, my cap and gown, and everybody that didn't actually know me saw me and saw me graduate, they didn't realize that I'm not, I'm not actually done. I still have to write this final paper. So they let me walk early. I should be done in August, but I still have a big paper to write. And it makes more sense to walk now than it does in a year from now because, I mean, I wouldn't have been in school for that long. I'll be finishing in a couple months. So I was an imposter. I was an actor. But the person that actually knew me well knew that I knew, and she knew. Other people knew. And so kind of taking the celebration with a grain of salt. Hypocrisy is the worst of these three non-ingredients to worship. So if Jesus yells at them and calls them hypocrites, I want to know exactly what that is. Jesus quoted Isaiah, verse 8 and 9. He said, they are people that say one thing, but their heart is far from him. They're saying one thing, their heart is far from them. In vain they worship God, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. We need to avoid this hypocrisy. We need to avoid doing things in front of people when we know that our heart is a long way off. Hypocrisy doesn't come from acting in front of God as much as it comes from acting in front of other people. Jesus wants us to bring our doubts and our troubles to him. And when we have questions, we should ask those to God. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. David, if you look in Psalms chapter 10, is not sharing his feelings of despair at the beginning of chapter 10, saying, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Only to end this chapter with, the Lord is king forever and ever. That does not make him a hypocrite, that he's being honest with God. He's being honest with God, sharing his worries, his doubts, but he still trusts in the promises of God. It's hypocritical when the audience is the other people. God knows your heart. You're not fooling God ever. Hypocrisy comes when you're trying to fool other people. 
When you know you're not putting any trust in Jesus, uh, God already knows that. Fooling other people, acting like everything is okay, is one way that worship is not going to come. If you came in this morning and you're acting in front of everybody else, pretending that things are okay, but you know your heart is a far way off, you are not worshiping God. That is a key non-ingredient to worship. There's no room for hypocrisy in genuine worship. So this text is all about worship. We learn that worship can't happen in the presence of legalism, traditionalism, or hypocrisy. So if we want to worship God, we need to see Jesus as our full and our complete treasure. I can't give you an exact recipe, like I said, or algorithm that makes you see and take Jesus as your full treasure. I can't do that. Only God can do that. I can help you. I can point to why it's so good. I can tell you this, that when you truly realize the depravity of your state on this earth as a sinner, that you will see Jesus differently. That you will want to live your life for Jesus who died so that you can live for eternity. You will want to see him and worship him for all that he's done for you. You will want to just grab Jesus and hug him. You'll just want to bow down. You'll want to worship him. You will want all these things, but we're on this side of heaven. We can't do those things. And so, so what do we do instead? If we can't actually do that, well, we will come together and we will sing to God and all of our emotions that we have that we wish we could just be in heaven at home with Jesus, we will express those here. And when we sing, it's not just traditionalism. That might be a tradition, but it's leading us to worship. If we raise our hands in worship, maybe we've never done this before. I'm not going to tell you to do it, but I am going to tell you that if you want to experience God, if you are just so overwhelmed by wanting Jesus, go ahead, put your hands up, surrender your life to God. Tell him thank you. That's not a bad thing. Don't raise your hands just to raise your hands. We don't want, we don't want it to be fake. But that's the song that we sing, my heart burns violently inside of my chest. And that's about as good as I can, as I can picture this. If you know Jesus and what he did for you, if you realize that Jesus died on a cross so that you can live and that by you putting your full hope in Jesus, your heart is going to burn violently. Those are strong words. We sang them, we might have sang them and not realized them. I've sang them and not really thought about how powerful that is. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. My heart is burning violently. And so here I am worshiping with you, with what I have. Being in community here at Gateway Downtown. Worship doesn't just end on a Sunday morning. We worship together by meeting with other people, other believers, and growing in our faith of God throughout the week. Talked about growth groups. That's another, that's another way that we can act out on this love that Jesus has given us. You want to worship him in any way that you can. So is that you this morning? Is realizing what God has done for you moving you to worship? Or are you stuck in legalism? or traditionalism, or hypocrisy? This is not a rhetorical question. If you are stuck in legalism, or traditionalism, or hypocrisy, please, please come talk to me. I'll be standing by that door 
before everybody leaves. Please talk to your neighbor. Talk to somebody. Our application point, what I challenge us to do this week, is to share a struggle. Just so you know, nobody here will not show you grace. We are here because we realize we're not perfect. And if we think we're perfect, we shouldn't be here. If you have done no wrong, Jesus can't help you. Jesus can help everybody, right? We always hear, well, if I think I have done nothing wrong and I am perfect, what good is Jesus? We are in depravity. We are sinners. We're in need of a Savior. And that's why we're here, because we have found that in Jesus. And if you haven't found that in Jesus yet, I pray that you will.